What I want you guys to realize when we're talking about cardio, because as I mentioned in my post, it's not just an area where there's a lot of misinformation. I, I truly think there's value in every kind of cardio. It's not like there's a right or wrong way to do it, but you do have a lot of different tools in your toolbox you can use. And we, we are definitely a slave to just what we're hearing in culture, in social media, especially. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make you guys suffer through this story again for those who, who weren't, you know, on that Wednesday call. When, when I was going through my initial indoctrination into contest dieting and contest prep, it was just a given that everybody did an hour of fasted cardio every day. It's as traditional as, you know, the old school peaking methods where you, you, you know, water load and sodium load and then water deplete and sodium deplete, all, all of those crazy things that we would never do any longer. You know, cardio was just, you know, an hour fasted every morning. That's how you started every day. And it wasn't until, oh gosh, maybe 10, even 15 years later, uh, again, just looking at the physiology, not, not even the research. I, I did not know there was much compelling research in this area, but I just started looking at what happens when you start liberating you know, fatty acids from your body fat cells and you start converting that to glucose. And you, you know the old cliches now that we know, yes, in a lower, more moderate heart rate zone, for a longer period of time, especially starting fasted, where you've already worked through a lot of liver glycogen, you do get into a higher percent of body fat use. But what in my thought process 20 or so years ago, well, it doesn't matter if it's a higher percentage of body fats, if you could be doing just more, you know, more calorie burning at a, at a shorter interval. And, and part of this was because a manager I hired to run my gym was a track guy. He loved running and he had gotten me into some running. And so I was busy working on my mile time, my quarter mile time, uh, one entire contest prep. You know, I would start my workouts by literally just warming up and then running a mile as fast as I could. So, so here I was getting ready to do max squats. And yet 15 minutes earlier, I'm running a six minute mile on a treadmill and and I actually started getting better results. I'm like, wow, I'm actually losing body fat faster doing that, doing just one mile than if I had done an hour of fasted, low intensity cardio. So, you know, lo and behold, the whole high intensity interval training thing started kicking up. And, and my, my thought process and experience kind of aligned with that. So I started digging even deeper into the, into the physiology and, and I, I, I did, you know, see a lot of um, at least notable ancillary information where even if you are in a steady state, low intensity type cardio, there is a point in time where your body starts resisting that in wanting to conserve energy. And it's around the 30 minute mark. And so even though you're burning a certain percentage of body fat with that low intensity state cardio, after a while, you start, you, you stop releasing as much body fat and your body's actually trying to conserve and resynthesize energy. So it's, it's almost back to that point of, as we all like to say, we're tricking our body or we're, we're moving into a place where our body doesn't have time to react. If you can do that higher intensity cardio and, and, you know, get a little bit more bang for your buck. So, so just experientially, I started seeing that as highly, highly valuable, but then years later back into a, a cardio or I'm sorry, a contest prep. 
and more and more experience working with thousands of clients a year, you know, I, I did note the high cost to that, that every time you do a high intensity cardio, it's like a leg workout. You know, my legs after running a mile like that would be just as sore as if I did a leg workout. And it's very tough to feel like that every single day and still trying to get effective deadlifts and squats and all that. So, so then it was kind of, okay, maybe we need to temper this, maybe, maybe some low intensity, et cetera. And, and I think a lot of that, because we're well beyond the Wingate years and where coaches were, were suggesting or prescribing things like that. Now we're back into an area, an era where people are just talking about low intensity. You know, now everybody's almost kind of eschewing uh, high intensity work because I say, well, it's, it's too catabolic. It's too hard to recover from. So everybody's now prescribing 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 steps a day and just low intensity cardio. You know, even some of my friends who are coaches will say that, yeah, as long you know, just walk on the treadmill for an hour or something like that. It's good. And again, a great tool in the toolbox. You can burn calories that way. But let's let's look at what's actually happening inside the body. You you know we have these three energy systems that we need to consider. The first one being anaerobic or ATP. And in, in some modern physiology textbooks now kind of break this up into four, uh, where there's kind of an anaerobic lactic acid and anaerobic non-lactic, uh, meaning that you know that's almost kind of a bridge to the glycolytic energy system and then aerobic debt. So let me, let me explain this just a little bit for people who may not be familiar. Uh, when, when your body does something anaerobically, like doing a 10 rep set and that muscle completely fatigues, you can't do another single rep, or you're sprinting down the track 40, 50 meters, and you could not take another step, like you exhausted yourself. You force your muscle tissue to work at such a high level. You're, you're contracting the muscle with so much force that it's using ATP as its initial source of energy, as it always will, but there is not time to resynthesize it. And so you, when you're done, you're done. You either have to stop or slow down. The glycolytic energy system takes over next. What if you did actually slow down? What if you're like, okay, I need to either moderate my, my pace from the beginning, or as soon as I can't do anymore, I just kind of slow down a little bit and I can go another you know, minute or two or another 20 reps. Well, that now is your body having the time to use glucose as energy. So now intramuscular glucose is being used through the mitochondria. And so now that's a whole different energy source. But again, you know, that's the difference between something that's causing a powerful strength oriented contraction and using that ATP, or now you're using glucose. And there is kind of a, a threshold and a limit for that glycogen to be used. And that's generally in about two to three minutes. You know, that's why when you look at MMA or boxing rounds, wrestling matches, things like that, you know, they're, they're always kind of between that two and three minute mark, because that's it. Like that's, you know, if you're going to go all out, you, you see people kind of winding down at that point. And then of course there's the aerobic, which is, let's say you really throttle back your, your pace or your intensity, and you can keep going, you know, that's when your body goes into aerobic. Uh, energy systems. And so you can start converting oxygen into energy and you can go into oxygen debt, which creates this kind of tailwind of, of having to catch up. And, and I think anybody who's ever done kind of sustained cardio, you, you feel that like when you, there's that point in time where you're running, where you just feel kind of awful. And then maybe a minute later, you're like, oh, I can do this all day. And that's you running out of, you know, first ATP, then glucose, and then your body is catching up through that oxygen debt cycle. 
So, you know, those are the things that we're going through. And if you look at under aerobic where it says lipolysis, you know, in those longer terms, those longer durations are where you actually start using fats as energy. That's that sustained fat. You're, it's, it's almost a uh, gluconeogenesis where you're taking that fat and, and turning it into glucose to be used as energy. So that happens in a calorie deficit. That's, you know, that's what you're doing all day long, or at least in between meals at a calorie deficit, even without the cardio. But, but those three things will fuel different types of cardio for a much different effect. So one of the things you guys are hopefully used to now too is hearing people talk about NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So, you know, it's one thing to talk about the cardio, you're getting an hour a day fasted, or you're getting a certain amount of, you know, hit sprints or something like that. You're, you or your coach has divided up your cardio into a certain strategy. But if you're sitting around all day, you know, just not moving, then that's a problem. And so another thing that I think has been a great uh, advantage to our industry is probably within the last decade, you know, everybody started talking about NEAT and the fact that, hey, let's actually measure our steps. And you've heard me talk about Eric Lee Salazar at IFBB Pro, who did a little case study on, uh, you know, his contest prep, where every five pounds he lost in body fat, he would add five pounds to his body in a weight vest and ankle cuffs and, and you know, wrist weights. And so all day long, you know, through his prep, he was forcing himself to use the same amount of weight as if he wasn't losing weight and forcing himself to keep moving, you know, just keep those habits of moving. Don't, don't go from, you know, a standing desk to a sitting desk or, you know, all those things. When we start getting fatigued, we just start doing less and less. So that's a, that's a huge thing. But again, that's just one part of it. You know, I, I think all of us who are interested in, in the best acute fat loss we can get in terms of, you know, contest prep or just for our own particular goals. You know, not, not everybody is here for a physique sport event, but we still want the most bang for our buck. We want to we want to move as fast as we can in that that weight loss column. So let's let's break these down a little bit. Um, you know, some of those hormonal responses we're going to get to, I, I want to go through a couple studies specifically here, this one in the Journal of Obesity. They really wanted to test the power of the, the whole high intensity training, um, you know, gamut. They wanted to see exactly how far you could push somebody and if there truly were advantages to fat loss. So there were two particular types they looked at that I'll explain why. I've talked about this one a lot over the last couple of years, but if you do an eight second sprint all out, whether it's an arc train or elliptical bike, or you're on a track or it's something functional like burpees, but let's, let's say you're doing everything you possibly can to get every ounce of energy into those eight seconds. And then you, you just back off for 12 seconds. So it may be that you're on a track sprinting for eight, you know, walk for 12, eight, 12, eight, 12. That is designed to only give yourself enough time to replenish ATP, right? Because eight seconds is not even, you know, getting into the glycolytic energy system. But if you do something like a Wingate where you're doing 30 seconds or even a minute, and then you give yourself four minutes to recover slowly, it's intentionally designed with those four minutes so that you can replenish you know, phosphocreatine as well as glycogen and, and you really you get your heart rate back down. So it's almost like complete recovery. And they noted there was a difference between those two, 
but they also wanted to test this against this low intensity state exercise. You know, what if you just did a comparable amount of, of exercise, but low intensity? So here's, here's what happened with the high intensity training. Uh, number one, I've, you, you got, if you guys have been in our last couple of months of Friday research reviews, you, you know, I've talked about how androgen hormones, testosterone, estrogen, things like that don't really play a big factor that don't play a big role in fat loss. Um, we, we always kind of want to blame testosterone for everything, but there's just not that much going on when it comes to fat loss. Thyroid hormone, for sure. I mean, a, a, an absolute direct correlation with your, your thyroid hormone and how fast you will lose body fat at rest. So that's your NEAT, that's your total daily energy expenditure, TDEE. Um, but when it comes to you know, high intensity training or cardio, anything that's going to get an exercise response, then that's when you're increasing the, the hormones like norepinephrine, epinephrine, the adrenaline family, you know, also called the catecholamine hormones. And here's what happens. I mean, look at this. If you do a bout of high intensity interval training, you reduce, you, you increase your growth hormone by up to a thousand percent and that sustains itself for up to an hour. And norepinephrine, epinephrine, even post hits and, and very comparable to the, the intensity and the amount of time goes up also an average of about a thousand percent. And you're going to see here in this next slide or in a couple of slides that the, uh, the post-exercise oxygen consumption, you know, can stay at an elevated level, almost at that maximum threshold, you know, for hours and, and, it, and it can elevate you even, even at rest, like, like a day later, you, you could still have higher levels of, of that by, by up to six or 15%. But let me, let me get back to this whole metabolic response, which is, again, you're replenishing ATP, you're getting into the, the phosphocreatine system, which is what resynthesizes the ATP. Then you have all of the, the intramuscular nutrients going to be used, including glucose, uh, as well as the fatty acids in there. They're going to go through the mitochondria. But again, if you guys have not done this, especially in a calorie deficit, if you have never done super aggressive sprints. And I'm not talking about like just cranking up your um, resistance on, a, on an exercise bike for 10 minutes. I'm talking about a dead sprint, something where you could not do anything harder. And, and again, it could be on a, a Jacob's Ladder type machine, an elliptical, an arc trainer. Um, you know, people used to use step mills quite a bit. I, I see they've kind of made a comeback in some gyms. It seems like everybody's got one of those, you know, in a corner somewhere. But Look, look what happens to that longer term response that 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 post exercise oxygen consumption, like I said, uh, can be elevated over a long duration. Uh, it's, it's definitely driven by your level of intensity. Uh, you, you go through that glycogen faster. So one of the reasons why it, traditionally we have said or, you know, people have said, that, that that fasted cardio, low intensity state, especially in the morning is better. It's because your glycogen levels are already depleted when you wake up after fasting all night. Well, as soon as you do a couple cycles of high intensity training, your glycogen levels are there, they're gone. You know, you're, you're now at that level where you would have been in the morning, but here's, here's where the magic starts to happen. You start to increase, you proliferate the number of mitochondria you have in your skeletal muscle cells. These are, as everybody likes to call them, the, the little um, um, 
now I'm going to blink on this, the, the, uh, the powerhouses, it's like the nuclear power plants of energy inside your muscle tissue. So these, these mitochondria, you can actually create more of them, meaning you have the capacity to burn more body fat at rest. You will actually oxidize more body fat even at rest if you are highly, highly conditioned and athletic. If all you do is one set at a time in the gym and rest, do another set of squats and rest, and your cardio is low intensity state because you're in 2021 and all the coaches are now saying high intensity training is overrated, then you're never going to train yourself to that threshold of, of literally creating as cliche and dumb as it sounds, you know, making your body a, a body fat burning machine. You can actually increase your ability to burn body fat from multiple angles. Uh, the other thing that happens when those mitochondria are there and heightened, uh, you become more insulin resistant. As I mentioned, your VO2 max can just stay elevated. And so you're, you're actually burning more body fat even at rest around the clock, not, not just because of that post-exercise oxygen consumption, but even 24, 48 hours later until you actually start to detrain. Um, your, your anaerobic capacity increases. So it, it's really interesting and it shouldn't be a surprise, but I think it takes people really feeling this to get it. But when you're that healthy, you know, even doing things like squats and deadlifts in lower rep ranges become easier because you, you have the ability, you know, higher stroke volume in your heart to get more oxygen to your muscle tissue. And then, as I said, the, you have more mitochondria in that muscle tissue to, to regulate energy. So, so there is that athletic component. Like you're, you're going to improve a lot of things if you keep some high intensity cardio in, but let's look at what happens with actual fat loss. Is there an advantage or a disadvantage? Well, when you, when you compare it to steady state, this one particular study that uh, I'll show you the, uh, the citation for on the next slide uh, showed a 48% reduction in fat people with people who are using high intensity training compared to 18 in steady state. So substantial, almost threefold increase in fat loss when you do high intensity versus low intensity. And again, I mean, that should be a duh moment, right? I mean, you're, you're just, you're using more calories. I, I think today's resistance against high intensity has just come because, you know, coaches are always looking for the next thing. We, we, we love in our, our brains to think that if I can find the thing, the one thing that people don't know, here's where culture is. If I can be the counter cultural voice, then I look like the, the guy or the girl who's got all of the, the current answers. Everybody else is wrong. I'm the only one that's right. So you're going to constantly see that pendulum swing wherever, wherever culture is, you know, somebody's going to pull it in the other direction and it just goes back and forth. But, but look at this particular study, 45 female subjects, 15 weeks, uh, the high intensity group doing 20 minute sessions. And this was the eight second, 12 second split. And not everybody could do 20 minutes right away. That, you know, that's an aspirational goal. If you only start at five minutes, that's totally fine. But this, the steady state group, you know, 60% VO2 max, that's very, very common, 40 minute sessions. And so you're, they're literally doing twice as much, but they're only going to 60% of VO2 max versus the people who are going all out. And then of course they had a control group, people who just did no cardio. We're gonna measure what happens to them. 
So th there's an interesting behavioral component to this study that I want to make sure I mention, uh, because one of the things that we often talk about with high intensity work is that it does make you hungrier. And if you're somebody who is committed to your, your diet methodology of any sort, let's just use macro tracking as a home base for this example, you know, if, if you are sticking to your diets, no matter what, and the high intensity cardio causes a little extra hunger, then, you know, maybe you deal with that. Maybe you get sick of it and you just don't like it for that reason. For people who don't stick to their diet quite as objectively, then sometimes that high intensity cardio can lead to binges or unplanned increases in cardio. And those are real considerations, but let's see what happens on the other side. So at the end of this study, the high intensity group, and they all had a diet they were supposed to follow, but this of course was not inpatient. So the high intensity group lost, uh, you know, more than five pounds. The steady state actually gained a little bit of body fat and the control group actually gained a little bit of body fat. So it's interesting that even though these were not inpatient studies, you, you, you had your diet plan that was supposed to give you kind of the isocaloric base, and then your cardio was supposed to create that calorie deficit. Why is it that only the high intensity group, you know, lost that they're the ones who are supposed to be binging and eating more because they're so hungry and they just can't tolerate it. The steady state supposed to be like, this is chill. It's easy. I can do this. I can do it all day long. Well, I, I think it just comes down to the physiology. I mean, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say everybody was compliant with their nutrition. The fact that you're just getting those thousand percent increases in growth hormone, thousand percent increases in norepinephrine and epinephrine, fifteen percent in increases in VO2 max or, or higher. You know that ongoing mitochondrial density you just create the environment in your physiological machinery to lose body fat better. And you're forcing it to do so if you're going through that kind of pace. So uh, it's just no contest. So again, you can, you can use all of these tools, but I think my primary goal for this lecture or workshop at this time is because people are starting to brush aside high intensity work as if there's just not that value. It's been overrated. That's, that's the old school way of doing things. Interestingly, now that's old school and it's back to doing low intensity. That's, that's the new, you know, thing to do, but uh, let, let's dig in just a little bit deeper into how we can use a, a complete approach with all of these tools. Uh, when I'm, when I'm suggesting cardio for clients, you know, one of the things I like to do is, you know, consider everybody has a life outside of just their weight loss goals. And so I don't like to see people going to a gym or, or engaging in exercise twice a day, three times a day, every day. I think that becomes, you know, completely impractical and arduous and, and, you know, it, it does start to impede recovery. So I'll, I'll again, be somewhat aspirational in my goals with clients, but I also give them the the option to take a session off, you know, take a day off when you need. If I, if I say I want five of these sessions and six of these sessions and two of these sessions, that's the goal. But I'm also baking into that recipe the fact that you're going to take one or two of those off because you just don't have the energy on a particular day. That's, that's how I like to do things. But as I suggest cardio for people, I, I start out looking at both ends. I'll say, okay, I, I want to start creating the habit and just the calorie burning mechanism 
of having some kind of regimented daily cardio. And when I say daily, you know, maybe five to six days a week, um, you know, maybe, you know, plan on seven, but, but I'm, I'm banking on five or six days being there. And that may start out being something like 20 or 30 minutes and, and at a moderate, you know, state, I almost lump moderate intensity cardio with low intensity, just completely based on how you feel because there's such a small line between them, you know, true low intensity activity or cardio is just something like walking, you know, your, your heart rate may go up to 90 or hundred beats a minute. And you're just, you're just, I wouldn't even call it exercise. You may not even be breaking a sweat. Uh, you know, these are people who get on the treadmill and they walk at three miles an hour, maybe a percent or two incline, but then, you know, sometimes you'll hear them say, well, then I, I kind of crank up the, you know, the incline or I get up to three and a half, four miles an hour or something. And, and if they were to check their heart rate, then, you know, now they may be hitting 120, 130, 140, um, depending on their conditioning. And that's when you've kind of tripped over into moderate state. And so I, I kind of expect everybody to be somewhere in that continuum for anything that's not high intensity cardio. And the way I create the, the nuance is I'll tell clients, you know, there, there are some days, like, even if you don't feel like doing it, but you just want to make sure you keep the habit, you get the time in, just go walk. Just, you know, I know you, I know you feel like shit when you start, but maybe as you warm up, you'll feel better and it ends up being an okay session, but it's still totally fine to just stay low intensity. And then you've got some of those sessions where you're feeling really good. And all of a sudden you're kind of cranking along. And if you're on a bike or an elliptical, you know, now your heart rate's at 150, 160, you're sweating more. And you think, man, that was a great cardio. You know, that was clearly higher level, moderate intensity. But I, I just, you know, I, I hope it makes sense that I, I lump low intensity and moderate into that category where there's that range. That's just anything but high intensity because high intensity is a totally different ball game you know, like I said, that is a workout. That's, that's, that's something you got to almost plan for your pre-workout nutrition has to be there. Some kind of a warm up and stretching methodology is there before you actually do it. You can't just walk in and, and say, okay, I'm going to start my cardio. I just got out of the car and I'm going to do my, my first eight second sprint right now, 12 seconds off eight seconds. Like you, you literally have to warm up and do some cardio before you even do your cardio, you know, when you're doing that high intensity type work. So as I, as I'm planning this out for a client, I've got that baseline of just moderate to low intensity activity. And then I have to start scheduling and where we're going to get those little chunks of high intensity work. And for some clients, I will say, well, let's use that as kind of a warm up. I, I want you to have something at the other end of the day. If you're, if you're, if you can, if you're a competitor and you're super serious about your goals, that's when I think two a day work can be very helpful. Just so you have those two times of the day where you're breaking away from sedentary lifestyle activity into doing something physical. So one of those parts of the day would be that low intensity, moderate intensity combination. And then the other time of the day is your training. And I expect that to be totally anaerobic training of some sort. I mean, this is where pre-workout nutrition, post-workout nutrition, Everything is there to make sure you're having the greatest workout you can, even though you're in a calorie deficit. So you probably have heard also the conventionality of doing cardio after training, like do your training first, because that depletes your body of glycogen. 
And now you basically put yourself in a position where it's just like waking up in the morning in that fasted state. Now, if you do your cardio after training, you tap right into body fat stores. True, but now you're also delaying your recovery. After 45 or so minutes of aggressive training and you know your post-workout nutrition is long gone, you're now catabolic. Cortisol is surging. So I don't think it's to your advantage to then extend that, that feeding, you know, another 30 or 45 minutes to do your cardio. I think that's the worst time to do cardio potentially. Uh, I, I think after training, you need to eat and be done with that. And then, you know, like I said, your, your next cardio session is later in the day, or, or maybe it was early in the day if you train at night, but let's flip that around look at, look at doing your cardio before you work out. If I have a nice pre-workout nutrition plan and I just kind of ease into my pre-workout cardio, my warm up, and then I just spend five or 10 minutes really kind of going all out. If I can just surge that up there and almost do that eight, 12 kind of split, or maybe a more sustained but high intensity cardio. You know, what what if in a 15 minute warm up pre workout, the last five minutes, my heart rate was at 180, you know, 200. That has some long term impact. First of all, you're getting extremely well warmed up for your workout. Uh, I've never had anybody say, Oh, that just wears me out that it ruins my workouts. Everybody I've ever talked to said no, that makes my workout better. And then You've, you've not only burned those calories, you, you, you've moved through a lot of that glycogen. And so now you're going to still burn more body fat during your workout, but you get to consume food again, your post-workout meal right after you're done with weight training. So I, I think that's a very helpful way of scheduling, you know, different types of pro or di different types of cardio. And one of the things that I do with my high intensity at that point, because now I have my my combined low intensity and moderate state cardio at one end of the day, I have my weight training with my just warm up in a progressive warm up pre weight training. I can still get one or two sessions of independent high intensity work during the week. And that's where I find the big concession. I'm, I'm not saying that you have to do high intensity cardio all the time or that it's the only way but I do like to see an independent session, almost exactly like you saw described here, that eight second, 12 second split. And, and for some people, depending on what you like to do, it, it may not look exactly like that, but I think it does help to have a dedicated session or two per week that is absolutely high intensity. And you know maybe that actually takes the place of one of your, your lower intensity sessions on a day where you particularly feel recovered. But let's 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 turn toward why you would choose to modify that at all, just kind of based on your goals. So I, I mentioned that in one of my my contest preps where I really started investigating this, I, I had some running goals. Uh, I, I really was trying to become a better runner and work on some performance athletic, you know, related type things. And and I, I did not think that that would contraindicate my contest prep. I thought I can do these both. And, and of course, being in a calorie deficit, you know, you're, you're not necessarily going to get the best of both worlds, but I didn't drop it. I didn't concede that this is a time I have to give up that goal. I just adjusted and it happened to be one of my best, you know, leanest contest preps because I was doing that high intensity cardio. That's what, that's what kind of surged my interest in this. 
But if you are an athlete, you know, let, let's say that you're listening to this call, this workshop, and you know, you, you want to get leaner, stay lean, bodybuilding or physique sport is not your thing, but you really do have some performance goals, somebody like a, a CrossFit athlete. Well, that's when, that's when you really want to fuel your high intensity cardio, like a bodybuilder would fuel their workouts. That's when you want to make sure you literally have the glycogen and the glucose, everything for that work that you need, because that's how you would progress. You know, the Olympic trials are on right now. You guys, you know, may have been catching some of those in, in the evenings. Do you think any 200 meter sprinter or long jumper or any other track and field star athlete, do you think they're withholding food because they want to make their training quote, you know, burn a little extra body fat? I mean, they're doing quite the opposite. They're making sure that they are fueling their work, their practice, their training sessions just to make sure they can actually perform at the highest level. I think we need a little of that mindset in physique sports. I think we shouldn't look at all of these cardio sessions as just grinding through fat loss. What if you took your high intensity sessions and treated them just like a workout where you are increasing performance, you are able to, even in the calorie deficit, get deeper and more into that training and, and you became more athletic throughout this process. Again, you're only increasing mitochondria. You're only increasing your, your post-workout exercise consumption, meaning metabolism, meaning extra body fat loss in the hours after training. So again, I, I think we have, to, we have to consider all of these variables as tools we can use. So into the duration. Um, I've had clients ask me, you know, what, what if I can take a two hour walk? What if, uh, what if I, you know, I'm on a hike or I, I like to do trail riding with my bike or something. I'm not necessarily like tracking the minutes. Sometimes I can go out in the woods and I'm on my bike with my spouse for like four hours. You know, that's what I would say it's amazing activity, but you're probably going to want to have to break that up with some nutrition. You know, you're going to have to have some Gatorade or a granola bar or a protein shake and, and that's okay. You know, you don't have to look at every single cardio session or athletic training session as just fat loss. You're still going to burn those calories and you can still end up in a net negative calorie deficit position. You can do that extra training, even though you're fueling your way through it. And because of those physiological mechanisms in, in just greater levels of lipolysis, you're still going to have a net negative result. But when it comes to high intensity, um, you know, I don't I don't know if there are other research. I, I should really look and see if there have been any other replicated research studies on on this whole mechanism of after about 30 to 40 minutes of training, your body's almost done. And I mean, you, you've hit a threshold that you could consider moderate intensity state. It could be weight training. It could be cardio. But there is this point in time where your body just starts to kind of shut back down and say, we're just done. Like we're, you know, we were all excited. You stimulated the sympathetic nervous system. We released all these triglycerides in the bloodstream and we're in body fat burning mode. And then you go on for 20, 30, 40 minutes and your body just starts to kind of metabolically slow down and you start resynthesizing those things. And you're not, you're no longer burning the same percent of body fat you're actually now starting to, to use a higher percent of amino acids as energy. You know, now you're getting catabolic. Now you're, you're actually tapping into muscle tissue. 
So, so that's where I, I kind of draw the line with cardio as fat loss is once you're getting into 40, 45 minutes, it's, it's time to stop and, and refuel, even if with just with protein, uh, you know, don't, don't consider that a, a counter to what I just said about doing a three or four hour activity, because I said that that's when you're going to fuel your way through that. That's when you're having a snack in between, or you're doing something at different intervals. But that's, that's something to really consider is, is it's not always the longest duration that helps. Now, intensity, we, we kind of answered all this, um, but one of the indications that I want to describe is, is orthopedic. And uh, here's a funny thing. Where's my crutch to show you guys? I, I lost my prop. It's on the other side of the room. So the, the last two years, I think, every spring when I've started running outside again, very quickly, I've injured myself and it has thrown the entire summer and it's really pissed me off. So, you know, chalk it up to being old or whatever, but uh, like two years ago on my very first run, I strained my piriformis, a kind of a chronic problem I've had. And, and I just couldn't get over. I could not go back to running aggressively. The summer was shot. I just couldn't do my running like I wanted to. The next year, you know, my third, fourth, fifth time out, I, I strained a calf, which I've never done before. And I mean, every time I would start running, that thing would just lock up and I was done. So this year I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this very temperately. And so for the first month, this goes back probably to maybe March, I would do my cardio. I would, you know, start on a bike. I would move to an arc trainer. Then I would get on the treadmill and walk for five minutes. I limited myself to running five minutes at five miles an hour. You could almost walk fast at five miles an hour. This is not a, this is not a hard thing to do. And even though I felt great, I made myself do that for a month before I went up. And then I, I took every session where I would stay at five minutes. I went to 5.2. Then the next session, I went to 5.4, 5.6, 5.8. When I got to six miles an hour, again, just five minutes, I made myself do that for a month. Now I'm into month three, feeling good. I got this beat. No calf problem, no piriformis problem. This last week, I get up to 6.6. Everything's fine. Totally fine. Never felt a twinge of anything. The next day, I couldn't even walk because of heel pain. It was so incredibly, I mean, just to even touch that my calcaneus, I spent two days wondering, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, there was bruising on both sides of my ankle. So I thought I, I had to be a soft tissue thing. I tore something. But then I was looking up the fact that stress fractures will cause some, some bruising like that. And it was so painful. I thought it just has to be a stress fracture. So I got an x-ray, no stress fracture. But the radiologist said there's definitely a big pocket of swelling like you you tore something and where I can kind of palpate, I can isolate that the muscle that I probably tore a little bit of. All of that just to say, when you're doing any cardio, there is a risk. I mean, there's an orthopedic risk to this. And you guys are in the game to be healthier, to, to, to sustain yourself. You don't want to have to stop three or four months in and say, man, now I can't even do cardio and my contest is six weeks away or something like that. So you've also, you have to toggle your intensity and your duration based on how you feel. And that's why some form of cross training can be very effective. 
Um, you know, even as careful as I've always been to do things like that, 10 minutes on the bike, 10 minutes on the arc trainer, five minutes of walking before my run. Um, you know, you, you can still run into those little flukes. And so, so always consider that as, as part of the equation. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I don't see a lot of people doing, and it kind of changed the game for me in cardio, is when I started looking at it as not just fat loss, but something that I will track metrics for, something I find myself improving. I mentioned that for a while I was going to a track and working on times, mile times, three mile times, quarter mile times, things like that. I, I love to see somebody who, who would normally just consider themselves a bodybuilder or physique competitor who really kind of gets into having some fun with their cardio. They find an outlet even outside of the sport. A, a lot of people, you know, have gone into, you know, biking and so forth. So, you know, I would just throw that out there that may, may make it more fun for you. But uh, let, me, uh, let me open this back up and we'll go through some, uh, some Q&A here. So if you guys have any questions. I'm going to just let you guys go ahead and, and unmute. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Just jump in if you have any questions at all. Go ahead, Dan. Hey, Joe, I want to start off with a question on the um, hit and the increase in growth hormone. Yet at the same time, one of the dangers is loss of lean body mass. There seems to be... Uh, you know, how, how, do, how could that be? If you, if you increase your growth hormone, you would think you would increase your lean body mass, mm -hmm. yet you tend to lose it at the same time. So there seems to be, uh, you know, a, a, a disconnect there. Do, do you lose lean body mass doing high intensity, short bout cardio, Dan DeSalvo? Yeah. Do you have evidence of that, sir? No, no, I'm asking you. Well, and the reason I'm throwing that back at you is look at a sprinter's legs. I've yeah, they're huge. Exactly. Yeah, you don't lose lean body mass doing high intensity cardio. That's that's one of those myths. That's a that's a dumb bodybuilding myth. That's just not true. Oh, okay. All right. I I don't know. I when I when I saw that one slide, I thought that it said that that was one of the risks. No, you, well, it, it, it's one of the, the thought risks. Like a lot of people think that. Then if you overdo it, like if, if you're doing mm -hmm. nothing but high intensity training all week long in mm -hmm. a calorie deficit without the right nutrition, it's a slippery slope. But if you're, if you're measured by how much you do, and, and like I said, you're treating it as its own workout where you're using good pre and post-workout nutrition, treating it like the anaerobic workout it is, but, but you're right. I mean, the way I put that on that slide was probably misleading, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I've, when I was a physical therapist, especially working at uh, the National Institute for Fitness and Sports in Indianapolis, I, I did physical therapy and some sport training for uh, some Indianapolis Colts and for some sprinters. I, I had this one guy who was a sprinter in Indy getting ready for the Olympic trials. The, the guy didn't lift weights. Like that wasn't his thing. He was just a sprinter. And yet his hamstrings just look like an Appaloosa horse. Like they would just hang there. Like any bodybuilder would have done anything to have these hamstrings. He's never done a hamstring curl in his life. He's just a sprinter. Right. So if you do it right and you manage your nutrition, you're not going to lean, but you don't do not lean, lose body mass, right? That's, no, not at that's, all. That's, that's the, uh, okay, great. 
Yeah, especially comparative to other forms of cardio, because, you know, again, I would say, let's, let's look at that low intensity state cardio, look at the legs of a marathon runner, you know, look at the legs of a miler. Those are people who are doing low, lower intensity, oxygen derived energy system cardio with more duration. Mm -hmm. That's when you really start tapping into, you know, the inability to recover because you don't have inter race or inter training nutrition to the same level. Gotcha. So the key for physique sports then would be to make sure you manage your uh, uh, high intensity hit uh, along with your uh, resistance training. That would be the key. Yeah, you know, you go, go back to that one study where they, they had a control group, they had a low intensity state group, and then they had the high intensity group. Everybody's nutrition was calibrated to be the same, to be what they needed. The only group that lost body fat were the high intensity mm-hmm. people. And it's because, you know, you almost have to treat your high intensity work as if it's not, it's not there for body fat loss. You know, it's, it's there for you to have a great workout session, warm up for it, do good pre-workout before that high intensity cardio post-workout nutrition, and then let your body do its thing. Like you will burn more body fat acutely and chronically because of that, not because you didn't eat anything or you starved yourself or you're doing it you know, seven days a week, it's just because you're letting your body become a higher operating machine. Gotcha. Okay, good. Thanks. It's, it's not easy. I mean, I, I'll tell you that, you know, doing high intensity cardio in a calorie deficit when your body fat's getting low, it's, it's like deciding you're going to go, you know, do a, a high intensity squat workout. It's like, you just know that. I second that big time. Yeah, thanks. I've done it. I have a, I have a question. Here, Rosemary. Um, so, what about structuring like a short, high-intensity workout immediately post lifting? Like, just it's not going to take long. What, what about something like that? Is that okay? It's better than doing a longer one. I, I'd much rather see somebody do 10 minutes high intensity and then go eat rather than doing 20 or 30 minutes. But, you know, here's another thing. I, I, when I was doing a lot of my, you know, pro contest prep, I had the advantage of working in a gym. You know, I had my own facility. And so one of, the, one of my most successful contest preps would be that I would do, um, you know, a cardio in the morning. And it was typically the higher intensity stuff, like I mentioned. So I may just kind of go warm up. I would do 15 minutes on a bike, stretch out, and then literally just sprint a mile. Like that was because I'm working on that mile time. So it was all out as much as I could do. Then I was done. Then at noon, I would sometimes take a break and say, okay, before lunch, I'm going to go do 10 minutes all out on a step mill just to increase some calorie burning during the day and really get into some, you know, a, a, I mean, it's certainly not fat burning in terms of like, I'm, I'm doing an hour of work. And then my weight training would be later in the afternoon. So I was able to do three sessions a day that were all much shorter, you know, a mile sprint, 10 minutes, high intensity, and then just my training at night. And I'm telling you, man, just having those increased bouts of maximum exertion as long as you can recover. And because I was doing them, they were all pretty short, you know, I could, that, that's, that's one strategy that works well, but you know, to your point, Rosemary, you know, trying to economize time. If, if you're already in the gym and you just can't come back and you squeeze that 10 minutes in after workout, 
then, then that would be the, the safest way to do some high intensity work combined. Any other uh, questions? Hey, hey, Jesse, since you, you kind of brought up this whole topic, uh, it, it, I'm so grateful for that Wednesday. Did you have any questions or comments based on what you had been thinking or reading through this week? Uh, I did not, Doc. I did not. I, and you actually covered quite a bit of what I was um, pondering here in this research review. So thanks so much for that. Cool, man. Um, besides that, no, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. All right, Thanks man. Well, I certainly appreciate you and your uh, contribution to the group. Any uh, any questions or anything? Uh, Mike, Poe, Tiffany, anybody? Everybody's good. Joe, I do have I do have a question. Okay. Now, when when Luke came down and talked to us, he he stressed that he would do his cardio and then wait six hours before he would lift. He was very, very sincere about that six-hour window. Um, and now, now I'm, I'm hearing you talk a little bit about doing your cardio right before you work. Um, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I would assume if you could break it up, that's better. Well, for Luke, you know, what, what's his specific goal? Very different from mine or yours. To be strong, right. He's, right. A, um, he's a competitive power lifter. And so he doesn't want anything to get in the way of, of a five pound increment on a lift. And even though I'm saying like, this could be a great warm up for your training and so forth. I, you know, first of all, I would almost argue the point with Luke. I, I would say, Hey Luke, have you ever tried this? You know, maybe you'll actually squat and deadlift more because you're much more limber. You're more warmed up. You've got more blood flow chronically over time. Those extra mitochondria may help you with that lift. So I'm not even sure, you know, he's, he's really done a comparison on that, but, but that is his justification. That's his reason as he is all about making sure nothing is interfering with that, that weightlifting session. I understand. So he wants to stay, he wants the fresh legs to do the power lifting. And then he'll good deal. Okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Good questions. And, and you know, just even it, the premise of that question, Mike is fantastic because you know, we often forget that we hear somebody that we respect, somebody super smart like Luke. You know, he's got a master's degree in exercise science. He's an unbelievable, you know, power lifter. He's coached college athletes and so forth. And so when we hear somebody say something or read something that they've written, you know, we tend to think, wow, okay, they know what they're talking about. That's what I should do. And just to remember that there's always a context to that. And, you know, maybe that's just one of six ways to apply a concept based on their particular goals. Like that's, that's just super important to keep in mind.